Hello and welcome to Judas Roar Podcast. My name is Jordan Griffith. I'm a minister and it is my prayer that this podcast helps you grow in your relationship with God. Walk with me through the garden of relationship as I share with you the words that the Lord has put on my heart and I pray that the messages are a blessing to you. Hello everyone, uh, this is Jordan coming from uh, Judas Roar, uh, my ministry podcast. We've covered quite a lot of ground in the book entitled The Footsteps of Discipleship. Uh, this was a book that I have uh, wrote and published in 2020 to fill in the gap uh, in how the church handles uh, new believers. Uh, as I've said many times before, we can't just, you know, once somebody gets saved, we can't just drop them off. We have to make disciples of them. We have to teach them. We have to help them grow in their relationship with God. And, and they do that through learning some basic foundations of the faith and walks of Christ, which I've included in the book um, about the basics of salvation and getting a, a, an understanding of of how that really come to be and why that was needed. Uh, chapter 3 is on water baptism and the importance of that. The person of the Holy Spirit's in chapter 4. The importance and the authority of God's Word in chapter 5. The importance of prayer and maintaining relationship with God in chapter 6. Uh, praise and worship and what all that does for us in chapter 7. And chapter 8. Uh, the importance of finding a home church and being assembled with believers. And so this is going to be the final installment uh, in this uh, series. And I've provided, if, if you think that this would be an excellent resource, if you are a mentor or on the discipleship team at your church, uh, or if you are a new believer and you want to read this book for yourself, I'll provide a link in the bio uh, where you can purchase it on Amazon. It's available uh, by Kindle and uh, paperback. So the final, I'm going to cover two chapters today, and it's going to be chapter 9 and chapter 10. Chapter 9 is on spiritual warfare. So up to this point, I haven't mentioned the devil very much in the book, but seeing as you're dealing with a new convert, a new believer, they're one of heaven's newest recruits in an ages-old cosmic conflict between good and evil. That sounds like a sci-fi film, but really, uh, whenever you um, receive Jesus, you have actually uh, signed up for the spiritual army, and a lot of seasoned believers will know what I'm talking about. Because you didn't fight spiritual battles until you chose the right side. And then they come at you. Um, because you are because you have made yourself an enemy to the enemy. So, I don't... There is a lot of focus, especially in Pentecostal and Charismatic um, circles, about spiritual warfare. There's classes on it. There's different identity of demons and different types of spirits. And I'm not getting into all that. That's not the purpose of including spiritual warfare in the book for a new believer. The The main reason why I wanted to include just a snippet of it is because they do have to realize that now they have an enemy of their souls. Um, 
that enemy was not bothering them very much whenever they were out in the world. I mean, he didn't me. Um, but, or a lot of people that I know, but being a believer in Jesus and attempting to um, advance the kingdom of God, that kind of, that, that, that changes things. That's a threat to the enemy's kingdom. And so it's important, so that's why I included that, to not only help them realize that they do have an enemy and that they are a soldier, but they also have authority over him and that victory is assured through Jesus. And I think that's important for new uh, converts, new believers to learn and to know and for that to be a part of their identity is that they are an overcomer through Christ Jesus who always gives us the victory. So in it, I talk a little bit about the origins of the devil. I reference Ezekiel 28 and 13 through 15 that describes Lucifer as an angel uh, having covering of every precious stone in the Garden of Eden, music emanating from him on the day he was created. He was on the holy mountain of God. He was called the anointed cherub and uh, perfect in all his ways until iniquity was found in him. Uh, before he was the devil and Satan and the accuser of the brethren, the tempter, the old serpent, the great dragon, before he was all of that, that was who he was, was Lucifer. That means light bringer. And so I discuss about how he had been cast down out of heaven, uh, which Ezekiel uh, referenced, and also Isaiah in chapter 14, 12 through uh, 5, and how even Jesus said that he beheld Satan falling from heaven as lightning. So this was an event that Jesus witnessed. It didn't happen during his time on earth, but it happened, uh, I would say, probably in the early, 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 early days of creation. But he was cast down to the ground because he desired to be like God. He was full of prideful ambition, and he was uh, he was really an idolatry to himself. So... And he took one-third of the angels with him. So it's important to know that because the devil is sneaky. He originates from heaven. That means he's familiar with God's ways. He knows God's word. When he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he quoted the word of God to Jesus. But he twisted the scripture to mean something that it didn't. You know, and, and two... He's not going to show up in horns and a pitchfork and a red cape smelling of sulfur and brimstone. People have portrayed him like that. But no, he was an angel. He was described as one of the most beautiful angels God ever created. He doesn't look like how we imagine him to be. So, that's one of the reasons why God gives us the Holy Spirit is... Part of uh, well, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is discerning of spirits. That means the ability to be able to tell whether a spirit is from God or not, um, and that's important. It's important for the church to have discernment. And um, new believers may or may not have their uh, discernment developed yet. So. Uh, and we always look at everything through the lens of God's Word because His Spirit will not contradict His Word. The Spirit and the Word agree. Uh, so if 
something isn't lining up with the Word of God, then we know it automatically it's not God, because He won't contradict Himself. Uh, the idea is that we don't want to be deceived. And so, how does the enemy attack? Um, every every good gift and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variable to see the shadow of turning. That means God does not cause motor vehicle crashes, sicknesses, afflictions, cancer, injuries. He's not the author of confusion, that feeling of being lost or not knowing which direction you need to go. God's not in all, any of that. That's the enemy. The Bible talks about a spirit of infirmity. And, excuse me, and the enemy causing confusion on people, attacking people's minds with confusion, loneliness, depression. The enemy attacks finances, um, spirit of fear. And we know our authority in Christ Jesus. We have to know our authority in Christ Jesus in order to stand against the wiles of the enemy. There's plenty more written and researched on the subject. So, again, I'm just giving the basics. Because the enemy is deceiving, and he can even use thoughts against you, because your battlefield is in your mind. And sometimes he will try to overwhelm you with thoughts of fear, or doubt, discouragement, vile, unholy thoughts. And so it's important to realize that. Uh, again, this is kind of basic, but and I'm and this this is not to glorify the devil. But the Bible says we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. And so there has to be a little bit of education about this. So that when a new believer, if they're properly taught this, they'll say, oh, hey, I know what this is. Uh, and they can identify that it's the enemy and shake it off. So with any battle, um, you have to see the attack for, for the first. You have to see the attack for what it really is. But... To fight a battle, you have to have spiritual weapons. So sometimes the enemy will use people. He will... He'll create like some kind of frustration... And people will lash out at you for no reason... Or there just seems to be for some reason you can't click with this person... What could be going on is your your spirit might not be bearing witness with theirs. They might be under the influence of some kind of demonic spirit <clears throat> or some kind of oppression. Okay? But your real battle is not against that person. And you have to see the attack for what it really is. It's not about you and that person. But there is a spirit that wants to discourage and buffet you. And so when you can get beyond being mad at that person who is flesh, because the book of Ephesians says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, um, spiritual wickedness in high places. Okay, so our, our warfare is against the enemy, not people. So you have to be aware of that. So if you react in the flesh, then the enemy's really getting the the rise out of you that he wants. But when you go to war in the spirit, and that's behind you, you go in, you shut the door, you start binding the spirit that's trying to that that that's trying to attack your life through that person or through some other means. Prayer 
is one of those spiritual weapons. And so you got it. You can't fight a spiritual battle with physical weapons. You know, I can I could go to a to some kind of store and 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 buy a gun, but a gun's not going to shoot a uh, and and take care of a spirit of fear or something like that. No, that's a that's a carnal weapon. In order to win spiritual battles, you have to have spiritual weapons. So again, prayer is one of those. Uh, another awesome weapon, believe it or not, is worship. Worship is a weapon. Praise is a weapon. Our prayer life is a weapon. The blood of Jesus is a weapon. The Bible actually goes to say that the Word of God is alive, quick and powerful, which means alive, and sharper than any two-edged sword. So you have weapons. You know, you have armor. You know, and we'll get to that in a minute. The first thing that you have to do in spiritual warfare, though, is you have to submit to God. First Peter 5 and 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject to one another, be clothed in humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So one of the important things is you want to be submitted to leadership. You want that spiritual covering. But most, most, most importantly, submitted to God. James 4 and 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We're not told simply to resist the devil and watch him go, but we have to submit to God first. That means living holy. That means doing what he commands us to do, spending time with him, praying, submitting our will to him. Be, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Because as a believer of Jesus, you have the authority of Jesus. Satan hates the word authority and hates the idea of you working in it and you being fully aware of who you are in God. He hates the idea. Jesus said that all power was given unto him in heaven and on earth, and then he passed that authority on to us. And it's actually a sign to those who believe that they cast out devils. He said, these are the signs that follow them that believe that in my name they shall cast out devils. The very first thing right off the cuff, he says, a sign that follows true believers is that they will be able to, to cast out demons. That is the authority that you have as a believer in Christ. In Luke 10 and 9, Jesus gives us power to tread upon serpents and scorpions, which represents evil spirits, and that nothing shall by any means hurt us. We don't have to walk around busted, disgusted, disgruntled, and defeated. Uh, that's not the life of a born again Christian. That's not what God's called you to live like. You know, you go into some of these, some of the church services, and I'm not trying to be to, to be rude or demeaning, but well, but they they spend several minutes talking about how bad the devils attacked them, and that they just need prayer, uh, and spent most of the time glorifying the devil more than they did requesting prayer for some kind of spiritual battle they were in. Um, instead of talking to the talking to other people sometimes about how big our problem is we need to talk to our problem and tell them tell it how big our god is jesus said speak to the mountain 
You know, uh, your words and your confession mean a lot in spiritual warfare. Stop confessing the depression. Stop, oh, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm so depressed. Stop confessing that. Even if that's what you feel like in your flesh, stop confessing it. Because the more you confess it, the more you come into alignment with it. And you're, and you're in more agreement with the devil than you are God. Is that a place you really want to be? No. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So we want to confess good things we want to confess our victory we want to confess our deliverance we want to speak forth the 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 words of life uh that that god gives us okay those are weapons in your arsenal so talking about armor i talk i mentioned armor briefly Paul would have been very accustomed to the armor of a Roman soldier. And the Holy Spirit used this for revelation to show how a Christian um, soldiers should be outfitted. So I go in to talk a little bit about this. Um, having done all to stand, stand therefore. When you've done everything you can do, just stand. Okay? And so we want to... Take on the full armor of God, the Bible says. And it says, Stand therefore, having girded your waists with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. The belt of the soldier back then held all other armor pieces together, as does the truth. The truth of God's power, His word, His grace, His mercy will have a holding effect on you when you face the enemy in battle. Uh, we know that the truth and the truth shall make us free. And whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Uh, so be held together by the truth. Do not be unraveled with the enemy's lies. The breastplate of righteousness, you know, our own uh, our own righteousness is as filthy rags. And we cannot save ourselves and we can't do what the blood of Jesus can do for us. However, when Jesus knew no sin but took sin up, not that he committed it, but he became that in our stead and was sacrificed on the cross so that we could become the righteousness of God through Christ. So the breastplate of self-righteousness is awful thin, but the breastplate of Christ's righteousness will keep us from any fiery dart the enemy shoots our way. So we're trusting in his righteousness and not our own. And when we do that, we find protection that no enemy can uh, jeopardize. And also, think about this, the breastplate protects the heart. We are told to guard the heart with all diligence. So let His righteousness guard your heart. Don't let anything uh, sinful or some kind of habitual sin get in. You know, guard your heart with the breastplate of His righteousness. Next up. It says, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Shod means to underbind, to bind under oneself, or to bind on. The Roman soldier's sandals wound up the leg uh, rather far in order to bring stability, both while marching and in the fight. The message is this. Your feet are prepared by God's peace to go to whatever battlefield He calls you, no matter where you meet the enemy. Your feet are ready to march, and you have peace with God, and are ready to fight the devil. After being fully submitted to the Lord. It says above all. 
take up the shield of faith, which you are able to quench all the fiery darts or arrows of the wicked one. This is an especially important piece, uh, as the next two are. Uh, so every piece is important, though, because we're commanded to wear the full armor. But the shield of faith is very important. If you have a good shield, it blocks most of the blows before they even hit you, and your faith does the same thing. The 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 uh, fiery dart or fiery arrow of discouragement gets extinguished when it meets your shield of faith. But if you're not using your shield of faith to rise and meet that, then that arrow is going to find its mark and you're going to be wounded by discouragement or whatever the enemy's trying to fire at you. So that shield of faith means a lot. And ancient shields used to incorporate leather in them that gives them some extra blocking power against the arrows of the enemy. If the leather was dried out... It loses its form of protection. So in Isaiah 21 and 5, it actually talks about people would anoint their shield. They would rub oil, and that represents the Holy Spirit. The, you know, you take the, the oil, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and you anoint your faith with it. It causes your shield to be so much more ready, anointed, and prepared for battle. Um, some things that you might notice if you watch the movie 300 in an ancient history course has taught me that the Greek hoplite shields um, cover uh, the the way that the the Greek army was organized is that the left part of the shield covered the man to the person's left. It covered the right side of the man to the person's left. So the shield only covered half of somebody and half of someone else. So the idea is that if you run, you put your buddy beside you in jeopardy because the Greeks were made to fight as a unit together. This means that your faith doesn't only uh, cover you, but it also covers others. And the Romans, you know, because it is based off of the Romans, so the Romans had their own shield, but they had this very awesome move, and you can look this up on YouTube, but they had this awesome tactic called the testudo, which means the tortoise. And what they would do is they would all come and put their shields up together and form like a tortoise shell that that the enemy couldn't stop. And then they'd just march on through wherever they were going. You know, when your faith connects to my faith, then it creates a testudo that the enemy can't penetrate. So that's the first above all. The second above all element is the helmet of salvation. And so, it protects the head. That's where your mind is, right? Your thoughts. Salvation will help protect that part, you know, because that brain controls everything in your body. Protecting your mind is very important. That's where the spiritual battlefield is. Um, how a man regards himself, how he thinks of himself, that is how he is. So, uh, as, a man, uh, as a man thinks, so is he. It's very important that you guard your heart and your uh, your head and your heart and the thoughts that you think about yourself. Salvation reinforces the thoughts that God loves you. He's here for you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. It's an awesome defense against the enemy. So then we come to the last bit of it, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is called in Hebrews 4 and 12, the sword, uh, 
the word of the Lord is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. The sword, you know, above all, it says, take up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's power. It brings power to your situation. It doesn't return to God void, but it accomplishes what He pleases and prospers in the thing He sent it to. Uh, it's part of your armor. A sword can be used for both defense, like to parry or block a blow, or to attack, like to cut, slice, or stab. In the wilderness, Satan tempted Jesus by twisting, by using a twisted form of the word to do so. But Jesus responded, It is written. And he quoted the scripture against the devil and backed him down. The sword of the Lord also cuts off some attachments from you that hold you back or hinder you. Spirits of oppression, depression can be severed from your life when you walk in the truth of God's word. Whenever you seek to be free from anxiety, fear, doubt, discouragement, or something else, quote God's word against the enemy and let the word become your defense and your offense. If you're feeling less than... If you're struggling with some kind of thought or emotion that doesn't uplift God, it's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. Find a scripture that talks about that very thing and find the opposite. So the opposite of sickness is health. You could say something along the lines of, Devil, God's word says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions, and that by his stripes I am healed. The sickness has to go in Jesus' name. You take authority uh, and you quote God's word to him. Uh, it says also, right below that, it talks about praying with supplication. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication of the saints. So this isn't a designated piece of armor per se. But it is something that's mentioned in the same line of Scripture. Prayer is an important weapon. And then if you add fasting to that... And fasting is going without food for a certain period of time. Like, you might, some people skip one meal a day. Some people might go on a one-day fast. Some people might go on a three. I've heard of people going on 21, 40-day fasts without eating. Uh, that's between you and God. But what fasting does is it gets you out of the flesh and gets you into a position to where you can receive from God's Spirit. And fasting really puts an edge on your prayer life. Um... And it kind of, it's kind of under that supplication that I was talking about. Prayer is a means of drawing close to God. It, it doesn't necessarily force His hand to move, but it gives God more of us so that we can hear Him clearly and as He will comfort and reassure us through the battle. Fasting, such as a sacrifice, something that you, uh, you know, like food, in order to get to close to God, mixed with prayer, is especially effective. Prayer is also an important uh, is important because uh, we covered in the full armor of God. You don't just war on behalf of yourself. You're also fighting for believers as well. You fight for your pastor. You fight for your church, your family, your friends, the lost, the region that you live in, the city that you live in. Uh, when you pray on behalf of others and you start interceding for them, you know you're going to war for them. And then, of course, the the, the blood of Jesus. It washes you clean. But you have authority. You know, the battlefield, 
is in the mind, and so you can speak against the thoughts that you're thinking that uh, or that you're experiencing that are not from God. You can take authority over those. There's, you know, Elisha, I love what Elisha said one time when the enemy was coming up. He said, there's more for us than there is against us. And again, you know, it's not my intention to scare any of you off or anything like that. But you really must know that the same enemy is already, already defeated. Even though he's he's fighting you, he's already a defeated foe. The Bible says that Jesus, when he hung on the cross, that he defeated the principalities and made a show of them openly. Uh, I love what Second Corinthians 2.14 says. It says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor, the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. He always causes us to, tri uh, to triumph. We don't fight for victory. We fight from a place of victory in Jesus. The victory is already won. All we have to do is just outlast Him. So that ends chapter 9. I know that was a lot of information. I hope it was helpful though. Like I said, I don't go into a great detail about this spirit, that spirit. But I do reinforce the authority of the believer, the origins of the enemy, and and examples of how he attacks and some defenses that uh, a believer can start using against him. So in the last chapter, what's next? You know, the first thing that I want to talk about is it's all, again, it's always relationship first. You know, some people want to jump into the ministry and start right off the bat, and that's great. But this is a very foundational time. It's a time to eat up God's Word and continue to pray every day, worship God in holiness, sit under some good teaching of pastors and elders. You know, a house has to have a firm foundation, otherwise it won't be stable. Develop the relationship. Get to know God better. All of those things will come in time. You know, if He's leading you to it. Even if you're called into a powerful ministry as you mature in God, it will not take the place of that relationship. And don't ever let it. Ministry can become an idol if you do not watch it. You have to keep that daily relationship, that daily walk, that love for God. Next thing. Find a home church if you haven't already. We talked about this uh, whenever I covered chapter 8. You know, find a home church where you just feel at peace, where you feel that God has planted you. Be planted in the house of the God and you shall, uh, the house of the Lord, and you shall flourish in the courts of our God, okay? Um, there's great benefit to a spiritual covering with a pastor, a young sheep that needs feeding just as the mature ones do. Uh, it helps sharpen you. It helps quicken you. It helps equip you for ministry. It helps mature you. It's very, very needed. Let's talk about holiness. As you begin to learn more of God's Word, you begin to learn more of what He expects. And a relationship is not based on thou shalt and thou shalt not. But every relationship has healthy boundaries, and God has established a few boundaries in His Word. Uh, we want to be holy because uh, we are commanded to be holy, for He is holy. 
And, you know, none of us can do that 100% of the time because we are subject to fail and to sin. But if we do sin, God, uh, we have an advocate with the Father through Jesus. And that's why we maintain that relationship. Uh, whenever we went down under the water in baptism in chapter 3 and came back up, we were declaring death to our fleshly desires and being risen to new life in Christ. And that doesn't happen overnight. You know, it doesn't just go away after you get baptized and all of your evil fleshly desires get washed down the river. I wish it worked like that, but it it, it doesn't. Uh, but holiness, we want to start, you know, we want to start being more like God. We want to start being more like Him. We're made in His image. Now let's be in His likeness. Uh, I love what uh, uh, a minister that I was listening to, he said that we're made in the image of God. We got that from birth. But let's be in His likeness. That means let's 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 have love. Let's have joy. Let's have peace. Let's have self-control. Let's have gentleness, kindness. Let's, let's be merciful. Uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's look like that. Let's look like Jesus. Part of that is forgiving people that have done you wrong. Yes, you have to forgive. Jesus said in one place that if we don't forgive people that do us wrong, how can our Heavenly Father forgive us? So we must forgive. That can be an open door to the enemy. A root of bitterness can uh, spring up and defile many. Holiness and forgiveness for others is significantly related. A root of bitterness defiles. You know, if something is defiled, that means it's not holy. You don't want to be defiled by a root of bitterness and be stuck and mad at that person for whatever they did. You know, and it could be, it could have been traumatic. It could have been very, very bad. And I am sorry for that. And I'm not trying to downplay your hurt or anything by any means whatsoever. Uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm not doing that at all. But forgiveness is for you. It's not for them. It's so that you can go on, so you can heal, so you can live your life to the fullest and not be held back by that. So just remember that. God wants you to heal from that hurt. So a couple other things here. Protect your witness. When you identify as uh, as a Christian, people expect you to act like it, basically. I'm just going to run through that um, just real quickly. Just uh, That means your, your language changes, you know, and God, God will work with you. The Holy Spirit will start convicting you here and there of things uh, and, and help you clean your life up. So don't think this, this is something that's going to happen overnight. Uh, just be sensitive to Him. If you feel convicted for it, if you're like, ooh, I shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that, then listen to that voice and ask for His help to stay away from those things. Um, and then, uh, and real basically, I talk about uh, when you don't know what you're called to do, um, just be faithful, keep serving, keep... Uh, Keep reading, keep worshiping. You know, there's no rush to get into ministry. The Bible even talks about waiting on your ministry. 
there's nothing wrong with that. And besides, new uh, new believers, they need to sit and they need to learn and they need to listen. There's nothing there's nothing wrong with that in growing. You know, the time will come. God will mature them, and and the pastors and the elders of your life will be able to see that change and see that progress. Um, so again, this finishes up the book. Uh, my coverage for it. I hope that it it is a blessing to you. I hope that uh, you did that that you do learn something from it. That it is a blessing. That it's helpful. Again, there's a link in the bio where you can purchase this if you feel like it would be useful for new converts, new believers that you run into, or if you're a new believer yourself. Uh, congratulations and welcome into the family of God. If you would like to purchase this, it is available on Amazon. God bless you. I love you all, and have a blessed day.